Hello there, and welcome to episode 8 of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Alberto Calderon, your host, and thank you as always for joining us on this, our weekly show. I'm sure you've noticed it's been a pretty slow news week for Star Wars, but there is always something we can talk about. Uh, before we get to the news, you can always follow us on Twitter at Radio Rebel Pod. And if you have a question for us or any topic you want me to discuss, go ahead and hashtag AskTheRebellion. You can listen to this podcast now on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, and many others. On this International Women's Day, take a moment to celebrate all of the wonderful women in your real life that have made a positive impact. And, of course, all of the great creators, actresses, writers, producers, podcasters, fans in the Star Wars world. Send them a quick hello on any social media that you prefer. Um, Even if it doesn't matter to us if it's been a slow news week, as we got another great episode of The Clone Wars and we will be discussing it momentarily. And we'll also be exploring and speculating on what if the High Republic is the foundation for future Star Wars movies and of the rumor directors which announced High Republic project could they adapt into a movie. But first, the news. So let's talk Star Wars. Star Wars news. Our first news from the core comes from Dave Filoni himself. Dave has been on a tear these past couple of weeks promoting The Clone Wars, and he recently sat with Entertainment Weekly and spoke about bringing The Clone Wars back and the new technology that allowed him to produce a better-looking show. Uh, He went on to say that since the show debuted 11 years ago, there has been a dramatic leap in visual technology, especially facial animation. The way the show looks now is the way that him and George Lucas envisioned it, Envision it to look back then, but the technology wasn't there at the time. Filoni add that the Bad Batch came from Lucas himself wanting a group of clones that were more unique than the rest of the clones we had met so far. This kind of quickly reminds me of George and all the additions he made to the original trilogy and then the way he, he kind of went... For, went on about doing the prequels, always pushing the technological envelope and going back again to the original trilogy and adding all those little things that, like he said many, many times, were the way he originally wanted it to look, but the technology wasn't there. So it's good to hear this from Dave saying that this is the same way they approached the Clone Wars, just wanted to do it a little bit different, but the technology wasn't there. And apparently it is now, we can see actually the, Facial animation is a lot better now. Also, you can have fun with Anakin's hair. And if that's better or not, but for them, that's the way they wanted it to look. And also, hearing that Lucas was very involved in the Bad Batch group of clones, why they needed to be different and all those stuff. Uh, So it's cool to hear that from Filoni directly and also how involved George Lucas was in the Clone Wars all the way to the end. Um, Our second news story is The Mandalorian Season 2 wraps up. A few days ago, Cara Dune actress Gina Carano posted on her Instagram page that The Mandalorian Season 2 had wrapped up. Uh, We can't say for certain if it was just her part in it or if the whole production of the show had finished filming. Uh, 
Um, season one of The Mandalorian finished production May to late February, so the timing does line up with this report. And even if it is just Gina's time on it that has come to an end, I do expect Cara Dune to have a bigger presence this season. So full production should be ending soon. Uh, for an official statement, always kind of keep an eye out for John Favreau's Instagram, since that's how he usually announces or does official Mandalorian news. But as we were sitting down to record this podcast, there is an update on this, and it is that Mandalorian director of photography, Baz Idoin, Idoin? I don't Baz, <laughs> just posted to his Instagram saying that season two has wrapped up uh, with Greg Grazer, Greg Fraser, the other cinema cinematographer of season one, busy filming the Batman right now. Baz might, and again, I say might, be the only cinematographer for season two. And if that's the case, he's a good source to believe that, in fact, season two has wrapped principal photography. Uh, great news, of course, for all of us that love Mandalorian season one, knowing that they are finishing up Principal photography on season two and hopefully starting pre, uh, post-production soon. Then we know that season two is in good hands and with the season hopefully premiering late fall or early fall, late October, then this is a good time frame to, to kind of wrap up main production and then start doing all the visuals. So yeah, great news. Our third news from the core, this is... Not a big one, but it caused a big hubbub this last week is the Rise of Skywalker novelization controversy. Uh, Ray Carson was on a con a few days ago, about a week or so ago, and she had some advanced copies of her novelization of the Rise of Skywalker. And a few people that got, got their hands on it went, of course, went online and started posting spoilers, if you want to call them spoilers for a movie that already came out. But just talking about all the additions that Ray Carson placed on it and a few things that they took a hold on and just ran with it and, of course, just went to the negative side. And this is mostly people that didn't like Rise of Skywalker. And the first thing was that the Emperor is a clone. Uh, Apparently, it is a clone body with the soul of Palpatine. Soul, I have it, of course, in quotation marks because I don't think that Palpatine has a soul. So it basically means that the host body can contain the dark side, dark side energy, energy of Palpatine, and that's why the body looks all decrepit at the beginning and why he needs Kylo and Rey, especially Rey, to kind of, as he say, kill, kill him to then for her to become Empress Palpatine, but I believe that he just wanted to kind of absorb her body and her energy to become fully again. Uh, It also kind of goes to say, from what I've read, I haven't read the actual book or the quote. I'm waiting for it to come out next week, I believe it comes out. I'm going to grab it. It's that Palpatine was... He had a a bunch of clones that he was working on, but none of them really could con- contain his essence. And I believe Snoke was part of, the, uh, part of this set of clones. And kind of it didn't work on this last one that he made. He was able to transfer most of his consciousness and his essence, but not all of it. And he needed a little bit more from Ray. So yeah, this caused a lot of controversy online. People kind of 
I'm going this retconning a little bit that why wasn't this explained in the movie? And you can always say that it was mentioned. There's at the beginning when it is mentioned that Palpatine does return. There's a mention that it was either cloning or dark side forces or dark side energy or something like that. But there is a mention that mentioned that he could have used cloning for this. We know since episode two that he was working with cloning with the clone army. He does tell Anakin about how the dark side is the pathway to many abilities that some consider unnatural, kind of eternal life. So he was always working with cloning and dark side forces. So for me, it's not a big stretch. And it does kind of make sense that this is the way that it went. Um, the second controversy, and this might be a little bit more, was that the Emperor's son, aka Ray's dad, was also a clone. So no, Palpatine didn't go around and get himself married and have relations and all that. He had a clone. That clone kind of escaped, got away, tried to have a life of its own, and the movie kind of says what happened to Ray's dad and her mom. So yeah, what do you think of it? This is a little bit more kind of, I don't want to say difficult to wrap my head around. It does make sense that if Palpatine was just having a bunch, bunch of different clone host bodies kind of laying around trying over and over to pass his essence, that one of them was able to kind of Frankenstein himself to consciousness and kind of know that this wasn't the way to go and just kind of escape. So yeah, I'm really curious to read this in the novel when it comes out to see how it's explained and how we can how it adds to the movie, how it adds to Ray herself, but this changes, of course, her relationship to Palpatine. She is still part of his DNA, but it wasn't the way that we thought it was. So it might make it a little bit easier or harder, depending on how you felt on the Ray Palpatine reveal in the movie. So hopefully the way explained in Ray Carson's book, extended edition of the movie, it is a little bit more detailed. So yeah, I can't wait for that book to come out in the next week or so. So our final news from the core is the rise of Kylo Ren comic book. Next week is the final volume. Volume 4 comes out of this great Charles Soule comic book introducing us to the rise of Kylo Ren. I believe this comes out on Tuesday. And once it comes out, I will pick up all four volumes and probably have a review for you guys the following week. Uh, with that, we jump to the only news we have for the Mid-Rim Report. And again, Mid-Rim Report is for those new segments that are not confirmed, but we believe there is some truth behind it. And this is a new video game. It might be in the works. Um, Project Maverick from EA Modis was found on the PlayStation Network and reported by Game Radar. According to Star Wars News, Net, it's supposed to be a smaller, more unusual project. Um, there is some word that this might be related to the High Republic. When the High Republic was still known only as Project Luminous, there was a report that said that it was going to be a multi-format interaction, starting with the books and comic books, but also including video games and all those multimedia facets. Uh, although when the High Republic was officially announced, it was announced as only a 
multi-platform in the sense of books and comic books. Nothing else, no movies, no video games or anything, but this kind of does match the report from a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so. So we have to wait and see. Um, I've mentioned before, I'm really not into gaming right now, not because I don't want to, just because I don't have the time. But everything I've heard, I've heard from Jedi Fallen Order, uh, Battlefront 2 have been pretty positive. So hopefully this new game, if it is related to the High Republic or not, is another great addition to the Star Wars game library. Uh, so that does wrap up our news. And yeah, like I mentioned, it's a pretty slow news day. A couple of things, the most important one, or yeah, I guess it's officially hearing that The Mandalorian Season 2 has wrapped up filming and we're a little bit closer to having that push into our eyeballs so we can finally see Baby Yoda and what he's been up to. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit of Clone Wars. The Clone Wars Review Season 7, Episode 3, On the Wings of Kiradax. I like that each episode so far follows right up where the previous one ended, and this one is no different, and it's actually the one that just carries over. You can just sit down and watch both of them back-to-back. And we're back on Skako Minor, which we find out is the headquarters of the Techno Union. I thought it was only a planet that they were using, but it is said on that cold open that it is the headquarters of the Techno Union. Uh, our group is, finds themselves surrounded by D-Wing droids, or as I like to call them, the dinosaur droids, as they try to escape or call with Echo. Uh, we have Wrecker being Wrecker, picking up and throwing droids left and right, as Tech is trying to decrypt Echo's cerebral interface before he can disconnect him from the system. So right here at the beginning, my prediction from last week gets, gets busted. I thought that they wouldn't be able to disconnect him without Echo dying and that Rex will have to make that tough decision. But thankfully, it doesn't come to that. Uh, Echo, he's, like Rex said, he's too weak to walk. He's disoriented. He doesn't know where he is or how he got there. He still thinks he's on the Citadel. But as soon as he gets disconnected, he starts gaining his consciousness back. Uh, we get the Bad Batch working together to try and seal the doors as the droids and the Techno unions are, Union are trying to breach in. Um, they have, I believe, is Hunter and Crosshairs with some welding torches trying to close those blast doors. And then as soon as they make a little hole, actually before they do that, the Techno Union what tambor and goes sent in the decimator so i don't know for some reason reminded me of the mandalorian what they're talking about bring the e-web cannon so yeah we get a a new weapon in the mandalorian called the decimator just a little flying droid ball uh once echo is disconnected he tells them that there's an exhaust vent that they can use as an escape route and when I believe it's Anakin asks him how he knows this, he echoes, goes on to say, they got access to my memories and I got access to the Techno Union database, which I hope comes into play in the final episode of this Bad Batch arc, that hopefully Echo did get something out of the Techno Union that he can use against them, not just the other way around. Uh, like I mentioned, we have Wrecker being Wrecker. He's launching everybody up to this 
to this vent hatch, which is probably about 10 feet or 15 feet off the floor. He's just grabbing clones and throwing them up. And I was waiting for him to come to Anakin. I'm like, he can't be throwing Anakin up. He's better, he better use some Jedi jump. And of course, Anakin goes and says, I got this. And does a pretty cool force jump to get up there. And then uses the force to pull Wrecker up before the decimator droid ball can get in and sap everyone. Um, we have Wat Tambor, as always, just thinking about profits and... He goes in, and when he learns that everyone has left and they, they took Echo, he goes, oh, they, they took Techno Union property or they took our property. And then all oh, those are years of research wasted. So, again, always just thinking about technology and the bottom line of money and dollars. I guess dollar uh, Credits, galactic credits. Uh, I do like that the Bad Batch and Rex are no longer arguing arguing and they're just focused on the mission and getting Echo back to the command center. Um, and we've seen this before on the trailer for this for this episode as they're trying to cross this, I'm going to call it just a pipe bridge. We only saw kind of the middle, the center of it. We didn't see the edges. And here we see that they start to get ambushed on both sides and we have the classic line of don't look down and as soon as they say that Wrecker looks down, that's, that we know from the Last episode that he doesn't like heights. And Echo uses the Kiradax, which are those flying reptiles, the Kiradax distress call to have them come and rescue them. Uh, Hunter says, because you start thinking, yeah, this is a little bit of a plot device. It kind of, kind of too easy that he just recorded this, but Hunter does go and say that it's a, it is a hobby of his to record everything. And I don't know about you guys, but these. Reminded me really quickly of Gandalf calling the eagles during the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. But it was a pretty cool to see the those heroes coming in for the rescue. But of course, the D-Wing air support droids wouldn't be called air support droids if they couldn't fly. And we have Echoes uttering the, the line, those things can fly. Which again, if you watch The Rise of Skywalker, the first things you think of is... C-3PO saying, they fly now. And again, as Echo, we've said, is that droid of the group. It is kind of fitting that his line and C-3PO's line kind of match up. Uh, so the group kind of escapes the D-Wings a little bit, and they reach the Poltec village. And of course, they don't want them back, because on episode two, they told them not to come back, that they didn't, be, they didn't want to be part of their war. But of course, that's just a preamble to what happened, and the war comes to them. Rex goes on to give, give an inspiring speech about how the separatists took away Echo's freedom, his humanity, tried basically to turn him into a machine, and uh, the Techno Union caused themselves to be kind of a neutral party, but that they, of course, chose a side, chose the side of the separatists, and that it is time for the Poltex to choose a side also. Um, so, of course, Wat Tambor wants his experiment back and sends reinforcement in the form of a bunch of more D-Wing air support droids and some walker droids to the Poltex village. Those walker droids look a little bit like spider droids that we've seen before, just a little bit, I don't want to say bigger, just kind of on longer legs. 
And this leads to the final battle of the episode, which is a great action scene. And all of the action scenes this season so far have been pretty spectacular. Uh, so we do see a lot of Poltec casualties. They do kind of pretty quickly agree to the sense of, yeah, I guess we, we're going to have to fight. So it was pretty quickly that they agreed upon this and they suffer a lot of casualties. Uh, the D-Wind droids, which I said on episode one or episode two, that they were pretty useless. They do come to fight and they are pretty merciless against the Poltex. We have the Bad Batch showing off their skill sets. We have Hunter using, I guess, a Vibroblade knife, cutting through a bunch of droids, tech dropping some pulse grenades to disable more droids. Crosshair, of course, sniping from afar from a little ledge and Wrecker jumping in between like a group of five droids to just wreck shop. We have the Spider Walker droids come in and start to turn the tide until the Jedi shows up. And I can jump from the cliff where Crosser was shooting onto a walker, chops him up a little bit with his lightsaber, and then jumps off of him and uses the force to push one to crash into another. Uh, the loss of the clone is a blow to the Techno Union's profit margin, as what Tambor explains to them. And he also goes to say, we must find a way to recoup our investment. Like I mentioned, always thinking about the monetary implications. Episode 3 ends with Rex telling Echo that now it will be just like old times and Echo responds, yeah, just like old times. And if you pay attention, you'll see that there's a subtle change in the music. And I think this will come back to haunt Echo, but we'll find out next week. Uh, some likes for episode 3. I have turned a corner on the Bad Batch and their skill sets. I was a bit critical of them during episode 1, but I have turned the corner on them. Seeing Clone Wars Anakin back in action and letting his Jedi abilities take over is always a big plus. And the design of Cyborg Echo, it's disturbing. He looks in pain with all those bolts and wires coming out of his head and neck. Uh, that spine bracket that he has on his back is pretty nasty. Uh, so it is a great design that right away lets you know all that he went through. But there are also some dislikes with this episode. And they start again with Echo that it's a little bit odd how quickly he snapped out of his funk. He was tortured, I guess, for months. I don't know how long the Clone Wars are. If you look at Ahsoka, they're probably like seven years old. Uh, sorry, it takes about seven years, all these Clone Wars, but I think it's about three years, because I think it's three years between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So let's say that Echo was tortured for month, months by the Techno Union, basically turning him into a cyborg with all, all the cybernetical implants. He can't walk, he's disoriented, as Rex says, but then five minutes after getting disconnected, he's leading the group over that long pike, br pike bridge, jumping onto the Kirodax, and shooting down droids in that final battle. But I do think that the final episode of the Bad Batch arc will deal with his, I guess, PTSD and how his time under the Separatist control has affected him. And another thing that was kind of a little bit of a dislike was how the group of clones and Anakin brings in 
that brings in the Poltex to the fight and then leaves them behind. Kind of, yeah, okay, we're done with the Techno Union, but the Techno Union is still in Skako Minor, so who knows how they're going to retaliate against the Poltex. And they said in episode two, we don't want your war. Don't bring your war over here. Then they are brought into the war. A bunch of them die. And then, okay, thank you. Bye. See ya. But yeah, that was episode three on the wings of Kiradax. And next week on March 13th, we have episode four, Unfinished Business. Before we move into our special topic, uh, just a quick reminder that Radio Rebellion now has its own YouTube channel. We have uh, about eight short episodes up there right now. And probably in a couple of days, we'll be doing our Clone Wars Episode 3 review, but I'm going to be doing something different. Not a full review like the first two, probably just some top five moments from the episodes. All right, so in what I'm calling hypothesizing in hyperspace, we will talk about what the next Star Wars movies might be about. So are the confirmed and rumored directors for upcoming Star Wars project working on adapting the High Republic storylines from the announced novels and comic books? Uh, We now know that the idea for the High Republic, known as Project Luminous back back then, started back during the summer of 2018. And a year later, during September 2019, Kevin Feige was announced as developing a Star Wars movie. Uh, When the official announcement of the High Republic was made late last month, it was mentioned that this initial wave of content was phase one. It was referred to as phase one. And I think that the High Republic is the beginning of the Star Wars version of the Marvel comic books with plans of having Feige turn those books and comic books into the Star Wars version of the MCU. Um, Before the Rise of Skywalker premiered, Kathleen Kennedy had said that Star Wars didn't have source materials to use as reference for the movies. Some people took this as her not knowing or acknowledging all of the old legends and the current canon books. But at least I took it as her directly referring to the sequel trilogy movies, not having anything to pull from, and that they were brand new stories. Uh, With Feige on board and now a clear vision of the future of Star Wars with the way that the High Republic story seemed to have been developed, with basically a writer's room with actual Star Wars writers working together to develop the storylines. We now have a little bit more of a clear path to have those new stories or situations and those new characters from those stories brought to the big screen in a cohesive and unifying way, similar to what Kevin Feige has done with the MCU so far. Um, I don't think it doesn't need to be a direct adaptation, but some characters that we meet during this phase one can then have other stories or be introduced to new characters in the same time frame that are also affected by the events presented in the novels and comic books. Or maybe phase one is the publishing side of it, and then phase two is the film and television side continuing the storylines presented during the phase one books. Um, Either way, Kevin Feige is a solid choice to lead this from the creative side. So let's say that that I'm right, and then we have three directors that have been mentioned as working on Star Wars at the moment, with only one of them officially confirmed 
And this confirmed director might be the only one that doesn't fit my dissertation so far, I guess. And that would be Ryan Johnson is the only director that Lucasfilm has confirmed as working on a Star Wars project. And he has repeatedly stated that it is still in play, that he's still working on it, but no story has been decided so far. Uh, Ryan knows Star Wars. He has shown that he can create compelling stories in this universe. And get me, I don't want to get into any, any of that Last Jedi discourse. And right now it feels like either it is the best or the worst Star Wars film, especially if you go to Twitter. But you can't deny that he did something different with that movie. And that either and that's either worked for you or it didn't work for you. Uh, Ryan very recently said that he wasn't interested in world building and the history of what came before. That his priority is the story and writing a compelling story. This, of course, was obviously taken by some as him saying that he doesn't care about Star Wars. But I think that, in a sense, he is right, Um, especially someone known for movies centering on character development and deep dialogue. He is going to focus on that and not going to five different planets, introducing a bunch of new species and a lot of canon lore, especially if it interferes with telling an important story. And that's what he thrives on. Uh, With that said, I do find it difficult to believe that he would join another Star Wars project where he is given a set of characters and a story that had already been written and he agreeing to to be part of it or to direct it. Um, The only way I see him doing a movie during the High Republic timeline is if he's told A, that here's here's a character this is his backstory, and now go and create whatever you want with him. Or B, he's told that he has 200 years to play with. Uh, we have this cataclysmic event known as the Great Disaster. These are the events we are working on, and those are those phase one novels. And now just go nuts and do whatever you want in that time frame. Um, I personally have wavered multiple times in my likes and dislikes with The Last Jedi. But Ryan Johnson, it is, he is a very talented filmmaker and writer, and having him in any Star Wars project in this universe is a gift. So I hope that he does continue on writing his Star Wars story, even if it's in the High Republic, or just something different that he's working on. So the second director that has been mentioned is Taika Watiri. He was rumored to have been invited to direct a Star Wars movie earlier in January, I believe. And although nothing has been confirmed or denied, he was asked shortly after the Oscars, he was there for Jojo Rabbit, and he said that he would love to do any movie if it was the right story. So what would be the right story for him in this new High Republic era of Star Wars? Uh, It's a bit difficult to say without first having read any of the upcoming books, But based on the information we got during the review of the High Republic, I have two thoughts. One, if we go with the announced books, I think his style might fit with the Justina Ireland novel, A Test of Courage, A Test of Courage. And that book is described as, let me read it real quick. When a transport ship is abruptly kicked out of hyperspace as part of a galaxy-wide disaster, 
newly minted Teen Jedi Vernestra Rowe, a young Padawan, an audacious tech kid, and the son of an ambassador are stranded on a jungle moon where they must work together to survive both the dangerous terrains and a hidden danger lurking in the shadows. Um, I think that Taika can do wonders with a group of kids that don't appear to belong together, having to find a way to survive the perils of this jungle moon. Uh, similar to his first Thor movie, where you had Thor, Bruce Banner, and Valkyrie having to work together despite their differences and many, many issues. So I think this works for him. Or two, also during the reveal video of the High Republic, it was said that the High Republic would have not just stories about Jedi, but stories featuring new bounty hunters, new smugglers, and new scoundrels. And now go ahead and imagine a Taika Waititi-led Star Wars movie where the main characters are any of those three. It will be kind of like a reverse Rogue One. You will have a group of bounty hunters, smugglers, and scoundrels trying to steal something or whatever. Uh, hopefully this is the first time that they're working together on a job, but they have heard of each other and how they operate and seen all those personalities clash with Taika's story style behind it might be interesting and uh, very different for any Star Wars movie we've seen so far. And then finally, we have J.D. Dillard, the latest director to have been rumored to be in talks with Lucasfilm for a potential Star Wars movie. With reports not certain if he would be, if it would be a theatrical release or developed exclusively for Disney+. Uh, Dillard is best known for smaller movies in the basically thriller sci-fi gene, like Slight and Sweetheart, which encapsulate more, I mean, Sweetheart is more of a kind of thriller horror vibe. And I didn't know this, but watching The Outsider, Dillard has also directed one episode of the HBO series The Outsider, which I've really enjoyed so far, and it's having the season finale today, actually, if you're listening to this today. Actually, this will come out to, to on Monday, so season finale will be yesterday. Uh, if you haven't seen The Outsider, it's also a kind of slow burn thriller with a bit of horror, a bit of fantasy, and a bit of folk, folklore mixing in it. Um, I haven't seen Slide yet, but I did watch Sweet, Sweetheart on Netflix uh, the other day, about a week or so. And it is also a slow start, but once you know what's going on and the danger faced by the protagonist, you're in right away. Uh, it's not a great movie. I'm not going to go and say, yeah, he's a great director. It's a great movie, but it's a pretty good movie. Uh, about three quarters of the movie is just one character, which is alone on this island. So there's barely any dialogue for those, those for first 45 minutes. And you think this would be a bit of a challenge to keep you interested? But you are interested, you are invested in her and her survival. So I think it's a good kind of barometer to see what he can do in this genre and with Star Wars. And on a smaller scale, it doesn't have to be a giant $200 million budget movie. It might be something smaller. Uh, on one of our previous episodes here on Radio Rebellion, I had said that I didn't think that Star Wars would ever go into the genre direction and kind of just go full on and do a horror movie. But after watching Sweetheart and The Outsider, if you bring in someone like J.D. Dillard, you can then look into something more of a 
thriller-based kind of sci-fi movie that we also haven't seen in Star Wars. Uh, so again, if we stay with my assumption that these first books might be adapted to new movies, of all the announced novels, I think that the one that fits J.D. Dillard's style the best is Claudia Gray's Into the Dark, which can easily be as easily be a sci-fi thriller slash horror. And this is what we know of Into the Dark so far. Padawan Reed Silas is being sent from the cosmopolitan galactic capital of Coruscant to the undeveloped frontier, and he couldn't be less happy about it. He'd rather stay at the Jedi Temple studying the archives. But when the ship he's traveling on is knocked out of hyperspace in a galactic-wide disaster, Reed finds himself at the center of the action. The Jedi and their traveling companions find refuge on what appears to be an abandoned space station. But then strange things start happening, leading the Jedi to investigate the truth behind the mysterious station, a truth that can end in tragedy. So yes, this kind of fits a little bit with his last movie, Sweetheart. Uh, not to get too much into spoilers, just in case you guys want to check it out, but it's pretty early on. I mean, it starts with this woman kind of waking up in the shore of an, uh, shore of the, on a beach in this abandoned island. And you kind of learn that she was in a, you think first it's a plane crash, but she was in a boat with some friends. And then she's there by herself alone, and then things start happening. And you can easily translate that to them being in this abandoned kind of space station and how that can lead into that horror thriller vibe. Um, so yeah, if they go this route, the only mo- bummer will be that the initial report of Dillard's involvement with Star Wars also mentioned that writer Matt Owens was also attached to this project. And don't get me wrong, when I say Bomber, it's not in relation to Matt Owen's work, but more that I would like for Claudia Gray to get a chance to write a Star Wars movie. And what better option than adapting her own High Republic book? So I think that's what I'm kind of leaning on with this High Republic, bringing then Kevin Feige to develop something in Star Wars. It makes sense to me that all these new books and novels, doesn't matter if they're hard sci-fi, early adult books, um, teenager, teenage kids or comic books, that everything's connected, everyone's gonna be important. You start building that world that way. And then you bring someone like Kevin Feige to meld it all together into a cinematic universe, just in the Star Wars world, in the Star Wars galaxy. I think that's the way to go. The the next Star Wars movie is currently scheduled for release December 2022. I don't know if they'll stick to this date. We'll find out hopefully during Star Wars Celebration later this summer if it's not canceled with all the coronavirus scare. I think they might push it a little bit just to give a little bit of breather to the High Republic, letting everyone kind of get into it, see what works, what doesn't. But I think this is the way you, you get Kevin, just bring all those stories together. And then, like I mentioned, just straight adapt those books or use, or just use that era, use kind of that setting to build upon. And then you can focus more on bringing those characters and those stories to more books and kind of expanding that way. So we'll see. There's, there's a lot that you can do with High Republic right now. I'm, I do kind of like both ideas. I also like phase one, if you want to call it that, 
to make it easy, just be the publishing side. Then phase two will be the TV and movie side. So we'll see. Again, it's very interesting. There's a lot going on right now with Star Wars and what we can expect in the future. And the first book is going to be dropping in August. So we won't have a lot to wait before we learn what's going on and what we can expect in the future, both in the publishing side and in the kind of cinematic TV and movie side. Um, So yeah, that is a wrap for us today. Thanks as always for joining us in another episode of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for tuning in and for going to that YouTube videos. If you go, go ahead, like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff you're supposed to do in YouTube that all the kids tell you to do. So yeah, hopefully next week we'll have a little bit more news. If not, we'll do another short episode. We'll review um, episode four of the Clone Wars, which is going to be the last one of the Bad Batch arc. And if not, we'll just make up another topic and keep talking. So as always, thank you and may the force be with you. Radio Rebellion.